So I've been a pastor now for a long time, maybe 17 years, something like that. Um, I'm, there's nothing right about me. I am a reverend, as Ori pointed out, but not right at all. Uh, rarely, actually, if you ask Lindor, very rarely am I right. Um, but when you're a pastor for so long, people come to jump to a conclusion, and that is that you know the Bible really well because you're a pastor. Now, half of that's correct, I would hope, and for me, I do know the Bible fairly well, but not because I'm a pastor. The, the reason I am a pastor is because I love the Bible. It's because I, I love the way God speaks to, it, to us and the, and the way God brings transformation through black and white on a piece of paper. How does that happen? And I fell in love with this book, not with this book, but what this book holds. And as a result, that led me to the point of becoming a pastor. I say that because people think, well, you're a pastor. So you should read your Bible and know that kind of thing. Um, but actually, when I was 18, 17, me and some mates met, met in a room. It was a bit smaller than this. It was the upper room, which was nothing holy about it. There's upper rooms all through Scripture where cool things happen. Ours was an upper room because it was the cool room to be in as teenagers and young adults and nothing else. But we would sit down on the couches there. We'd pull open our Bibles and we would just read them. And then we'd talk about it. And then we become so excited about this that we'd say, well, let's set ourselves a task. Let's read through Philippians this week and then come back together next week, written with our journals about what God has said to us, what the understanding we have, how, how these words breathe. And we did this and it built in momentum in our spirits. It became something so incredible that we want to be part of, that we wanted to engage with. And, and what I found constantly is I was in awe of this book. It was like the book was reading me when I was reading it. How does that, that doesn't happen with any other book, but it was like it was speaking directly into my life. And so, so my awe for this grew, but not about the, the words on the page, not about the book itself, but what God was doing through that book to change my life. He was speaking to something so deep within me. God has given us this gift so we can find ourselves in it, and when we find ourselves in it, we realize that God is already there with us. It's cool, right? It's like us going, I don't feel God. God's not here. What do I do? And God's like, just read the book. Because I've said in the book that I'm there. Pick it up, read it, and I will be there with you. You will see your eyes will become open to who I am and what I'm doing and that I'm there. I have journals full of things God has said, said to me through them. Th things that I've read. I've read passages time and time again. And if it was anything else, I would be bored silly. So one of my favourite movies is The Matrix. I've watched The Matrix about four times. I don't need to watch it again. Do you like The Matrix? Good stuff, Kaz. <laughs> I hope you clap when I say the Bible too. Love the Bible too. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so I've watched this, but I don't need to watch it again for a little while. Now, I've read the 23rd Psalm maybe 200 times. It's, it's one of the most favourite Psalms people enjoy at funerals. It offers so much hope and so much strength and so much peace. And so people ask for it in funerals. And then I've read it devotionally. I've preached about it. But every single time I read it, it says something new to me. I'm like, what? It's, it takes me four minutes. The Matrix goes for like two hours. 
Four minutes, time and time again. I'll give you an example. The other day, it was a few months ago now, was involved, I wasn't involved in a conflict, but I was kind of the repercussion of part of a conflict. I was really struggling with what to do, like how to help, what to do in that situation, how to navigate through. And I'm reading the 23rd Psalm. And there's a line at the bottom of the 23rd Psalm that says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I've read that tons and tons of times. And I read it and I'm like, oh no. Because if God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, who else is at the table? My enemies. And I don't want to eat with my enemies, right? I want to run away. So if God said, no, no, no. That's what I'm pushing you into. If you have to eat with your enemies, what happens when you eat with your enemies? They become your friends, right? I'm reading this, I'm like, how have I never seen that before? That God's plan, he's, he makes this, he prepares this table, this feast, and he calls everyone that we're at war with to come and sit down. Because if we meet with him over food, we become friends. That was pretty powerful to me in the middle of this conflict. It changed the way that I thought about it, that I engaged with it, that I, that I worked in it. And I'm like, how is that possible? I've read this book, I don't know how many times, and still God speaks to me so powerfully and new through a new revelation. The Bible, you see, how many, how many copies do you think the Bible has sold forever? What's the total number they reckon? How many? Millions? Lots? Very accurate, Karen. Lots. Any other accuracy beyond lots? One billion? Lord, it's only seven billion people in the world. Over time? Ready, hold on to your chairs. Six billion copies. Every year, the Bible outsells, it tops the bestseller list of books, that it tops it every year that they take it out of the equation. So the New Year's the New York Times um, bestseller list works because every year the Bible ends up number one. How is that possible? It was written over eighteen hundred years from three continents, forty different authors, most of whom had never met each other, and those authors were kings and servants, were scholars and poets. Wild men and cultured historians, warriors and shepherds. It's been translated into 1,512 different languages. I didn't know there were that many languages. And parts of it or stories in it have been translated into another 1,121 languages. So there's a lot of languages going on, right? And, and people are accessing the Bible. It's been translated more than any other book by, uh, by a million miles. But incredibly, there's a single theme that runs through the whole thing. A single thing about how good God is and how much he wants to, to bless and redeem and restore his creation. And it's personified in a single character, one character, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of every word and every chapter, every verse, every book in the Bible. And John chapter 1, the first chapter of the Gospel of John captures this, reveals this. It's got this beautiful poetic language that when you read it first off, you're like, oh, I don't quite get what's going on. And you dwell in that, you're like, oh, wow, this changes everything about how we understand Jesus. So in a minute, I'm going to read it. But as I read it, I want you to not only pay attention to what I'm reading, and you can read along, it's in John 1, but how I read it. 
You see, how we read the Bible makes a massive difference. Because I can read it like it's a to-do list, I've just got to get to the end. Or I can read it like God is speaking to me through it. It's like a love letter. When Lyndall and I first started dating, we would, um, we would write love letters. I was saying to Ori before, one, that he's not getting a love letter from me. And two, people don't do that anymore. Do it like, does that happen when, when you're dating? Do you write love letters? It's more like text or emails. It's, the beauty of it's gone, the, the mystery. So you, you'd write this, this, um, this love letter and, and in it would be your undying commitment to one another and what you had for breakfast and what socks you're wearing. Like it, it was the whole gamut of everything that had happened in your day, but also how you were feeling. Um, and and I, I'd write these letters to Lyndall and she'd write them back. And if she were late, oh, there'd be trouble. I'd be protesting. Be like, you're like 10 minutes late, hon. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, it's been a day waiting for my letter. And then the letter would come and I'd have such anticipation about it. It'd be wonderful. And then I'd read it. I'd be pondering it, I'd think it, and then I'd be like, oh, I want to ask you a bit more about this. Oh, I didn't realise that. Look, can you tell me some more about that? Um, and then, then you'd, you'd, you'd think on what you were going to say back. And that was half the process. What do I write back? How do I respond? What do I tell her? The Bible is God's love letter to us. It's what God wants to say to each of us. It's words that pour out of the heart of God and they're meant to pour into our hearts. To show us what God is like. To show us what God values To show us who he loves and why he loves and why he does what he does and what he had for breakfast. So so when you read the Bible, when you listen to the Bible, you're going to listen to it and read it with ears that are open. right? What does God want to say to me? And there's a rhythm that allows you to enjoy it and bask in it and chew in it. So let me show you. We're going to read from John 1, chapter 1. Um, it's the fourth, I came up with John, fourth gospel, um, uh, uh, which is the account of Jesus' life. And this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light to all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him everyone will believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own, they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's incredible, these words. These words that we have access to right now, right? There are people in our world, regardless of how many Bibles have been sold and how many translations, that do not have access to a Bible. And if they did, they may be executed because of it. And we have 
well, you might have a bunch of them in your, in your bookshelves. We have this word that we can read right now and hear what God is saying to us. And he invites us into it. The more you read, the more he invites you into the story. And when we step in, we start to recognize a few things. Right? So we read John 1.1 1, 1, and it kicks off with a really interesting phrase. It says, in the beginning was the word. And when you read that, you should be like, hang on, that sounds a bit deja vu-ish. I've heard that somewhere before. And if you go right back to the very start of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. So John is retelling what Genesis spoke about. So what John is saying is, oh, you'll read about specific time, places and people. But that's not what this story is about. This story is about God. And this story is about what God is doing for his creation, what God is giving to his creation. So it's this clue John gives us right up front that what you're about to engage in, if you keep reading, is this climactic, um, it's the climax of what God has been doing with his creation since it was conceived at the beginning. And it's all around this character, this central character who has like a first century rapper's name called The Word, right? It was like gangster right from the beginning. Jesus is like, I'm the word. And we discover right as we read through verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word is Jesus. Who the gospel of John is about. So the gospel of John is all about the word. The word is Jesus. And if we take that cool insight and then we step back into John and instead of reading the word, we read Jesus It speaks again. Listen to this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but listen to this. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light to all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You go, oh, wow, that makes a whole bunch more sense. When I understand who the word is, and we can understand who the word is because the scripture tells us who the word is. So we read it with this insight and we go, so this guy, Jesus, who we're about to read about, he was something. Like he wasn't just a person. He wasn't just a man in every sense of the fact he was fully a man. But there was something that accompanied him, something that was within him, something that separated him from everyone else. And it was the spirit and presence of God. He He's not only man, he was actually our creator. What? The man they saw Jesus, he was also the creator and provider and reason for our existence. Jesus is creation's mastermind and he confines himself to his creation so that those who he created could understand why they were created. We were created because God loves us and wants to be with us. And then he chooses to dwell with us, to live with us, to be with us. I remember the last love letter I wrote. No, it wasn't the very last, but it was near the last. I wrote to Lyndall. She was, um, we'd been dating for three months. And then she had the audacity, and she's not in the room, so I can say what I like. She had the audacity to leave me for three months. 
Not, we didn't break up. She just went on a holiday, right? With her mum and dad, traveled around Australia. I'm like, what? So inconsiderate, right? I know, you're feeling my pain, good. And so she did this for three months. And while she was traveling around, like by then we, I think mobile phones were invented, but it cost like $100 to like make a phone call to anyone. And text messaging just didn't exist. Um, and so you'd write letters and you'd plan them to be delivered at this servo or this outstage, outback station or this um, caravan park. And, and, and we, so three months in, Lyndall goes on holiday and people said to us, they said, you'll never last. Well, sucked in, it's 18 years today. We'll be married 18 years today. It's cool, right? So that last love letter that she wrote me, I'm like, oh, finally, she's coming home. Finally, she's coming back and the anticipation that that built in preparation of that, that Linda was finally coming back to be with me. In Jesus, God comes back to us. And the first chapter of John says, oh, this should build your, your, your anticipation. This should build your excitement. Look who's coming back. We should read this and go, oh my gosh, this could change everything. This must, it will change Everything, because God is going to be with us, conformed to human likeness, but God nonetheless, in order to give us something, to impart to us something that God wants us to know and believe and trust in. You see, we can't read our Bibles, realise what it's saying, and not find our souls expressing gratitude to God. We just can't. That's why prayer and scripture reading are so tightly tied together. Because if God is going to speak to our soul, our soul must find an expression back to God. And we call that expression prayer. And so we read this prayerfully. We read this with the understanding that as God speaks to me and reads me and meets me in this, oh, I'm going to have a response to God. It may not be verbal all the time. It may not even make sense. But I'm going to have an expression of God, thank goodness that you are God. And that I'm not. Have you ever stopped to think about how powerful words are as we express them? Hamish hasn't. <laughs> Here, I'm, I, I hear two-year-olds go through a phase where toilet humour and naughty words are quite entertaining, and that that for guys lasts till they're about ninety. And for girls, apparently they grow out of it. So, so Hamish would start saying these words that you and I wouldn't call naughty words, but you know where they lead to, right? So he'll say, I hope I don't offend anyone, but he'll say words like poo. Uh, but use it as we would use other words, right? So we're like, no, 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 no. So Hamish needs some help in understanding that his words carry a lot of currency. So we explained to him that all these words that he couldn't say, which was an interesting po per process of trying to identify them without saying them. Um, and then what, every time he said one, he had to go and sit for a minute. And he hate like he's a little boy, right? So he has to sit, he's two years old, wants to sit for a minute, so he does a minute. And then, um, and then he comes back, but if he says another word, he's going to sit for two minutes. If he says another word, it's three minutes. So we get to the six minute mark, right? And he is like <laughs> beside himself. He's like, you're, you're naughty daddy, that's what he says when he doesn't like the way we discipline. And, and so he sat there for six minutes and then he got up and he came and told me exactly what he thought of me. And he got seven minutes. Because you can't use that language, Hamish. You can tell me whatever you think of me, but you can't use that language. Go back. 
poor little guy. Um, he's actually become ingenious that he substitutes words in now because he knows he can't say any naughty words. So this lasted two or three days. We're over the hump. He says them to Zari, but he realises that Zari betrays him and comes and tells us, um, which he loved doing the other day because he got to do it to Zari. And Zari's like, it was just really funny. I'm like in, inside, I'm like, yeah, swear words sometimes are really funny, but that is no excuse. Go and sit down by the wall. So he substitutes other words in. So instead of saying a naughty word, he'll say skinny legs. So if he calls you skinny legs, it's got nothing to do with your legs, right? He's just trying to communicate something else. If he calls you box head, yeah, again, there it goes again. So feel free to be like, is that appropriate, Hamish? Um, he's got a few others, but... I'm not going to go into them in case he can hear me because I don't want to remind him of those words because it just drives us crazy. He hasn't grasped yet, or maybe he's on the verge, that when we speak, when when our words come out of our mouth, they take on an independence and a power that we can't control, right? It's scary. That, That we will be forever responsible for. Words stick with us and they shape us. Words like, you're fired. I love you. You're no good. We're done. You matter to me. You're valuable. Words shape us and they continue to shape us. And we're talking about the word in John 1, right? And when we look at God's words, if we go right back to the beginning, we realize that in Genesis 1 and 2, there were 13 occasions where God speaks. So God speaks so that this is independent power come from him and shape something and change something and transform something. So what did God do? Well, well, it started off, he speaks and light comes rushing out of his mouth at a 299,388 kilometers an hour out of God's mouth. He speaks and the sky is separated from the sea. He speaks and mountains are formed and sea is gathered. He speaks... And animals find their being. He speaks and we are created. When God speaks, things change. God's words transform things. And in John 1.1, God speaks again. He says, I'm giving you my word. And he offers his word to his beloved creation. This time in the form of a word, the word that would shape and change things, that would transform things, because as Jesus spoke, people were moved by that. If Jesus is God's word, then what we see in Jesus is a reflection and just God revealing what he wants us to know. So Jesus is how we know what God is saying to us. Now this might mess with your heads a little, but have you ever heard of the phrase, the word of God? Like talking about this book. Some of you might use it. You don't have to own up to it. You'll find out why in a few seconds. Um, but we call this the Word of God, right? And everyone understands, well, that's the Bible. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, it actually comes out of John 1.1, 1, 1, or out of John 1, where we've just been talking about. That's where this idea, this concept of the Word of God comes from. And in the New Testament, there are 40 references to the Word of God. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are 40 references to the Word of God. Now, here's the question. When somebody in the New Testament wrote Word of God, what were they talking about? Because they weren't talking about what they were actually doing being the Bible because it was just a writing. It was a letter or an account that 400 years later became the Bible. 
So when someone in the New Testament says word of God, and it happens 40 times, we need to understand what they're talking about. Because they're not talking about the law, because they funnily enough call that the law. So the first five books, the Torah in the Bible, which they referred to all the time, was the law. But they're talking about the word of God. So we read in Luke 3.2, it says this, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke 11.28, he replied, Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And we go, great, what is the word of God? If it's not the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's not necessarily the Old Testament. In Hebrews, this is this beautiful passage, 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart and 37 other times. As these powerful references to word of God. It's because in the New Testament world, Christians understood the word of God to be Jesus. So when you hear word of God written, what what the author is trying to do is trying to link people back to what Jesus has said and what Jesus wants to speak because Jesus speaks on behalf of God. And so this word of God is not a static thing. It's not the Bible. It's not the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's the living word of God. It's the word God speaks that when he speaks, things are changed and transformed. It's that word that they want to call us back to a revelation. We go, how do we get that word? (gasps) We have it. We perhaps don't read it and don't surrender to it enough and don't enjoy it enough, but we have it. We have the word of God. This is a Bible and in the Bible is the word of God, is Christ, is the revelation of what God wants to bring to our circumstances so that Psalm 23 can somehow mean something more beautiful, more and more when we read it. Someone once said to an American humorist, Will Rogers, they said, the Bible troubles me a lot because there's a lot in it I don't understand. And Rogers replied, he says, it troubles me very much too because there's some stuff in it that I do understand. Because taking this book seriously, like reading the Bible, it becomes challenging and hard. It means forgiving your enemies and, and giving stuff to people who don't have anything. It means living with this voracious love that seeks to help people. It's hard. But it's so important. Because without reading the Bible, we start to create a God that permits our sin that wishes us harm, that backs out every decision because we begin to entertain a deity that looks far more like ourselves and far less like Jesus. It allows things that we would allow that God wouldn't allow. And we stray into that space when we're not reading our Bibles. See, without reading the Bible... We cannot fully know who Jesus is. It's impossible to fully know who Jesus is. And every page, every word, every passage, every chapter, it points us to Christ. It points us to Jesus. So that's why this year we're going to soak ourselves in it. We're going to say, let's just jump in. Let's read it slow. New Testament in a year. If you went hard, you could read it in a day. We're like, no, no, no. Let's soak in it. Let's bask in it. Let's... Let's chew on it. Let's enjoy it. Let's understand it together. Let's get confused 
about it together. Let's see Christ and what God is saying to us. Let's be surrender ourselves to if this is true, what does it mean for me and my life? In 1989, Emmanuel Christen and Elio Enriquez were working for the Swiss Red Cross. They were ambushed and taken captive by the Lebanese militants. And they um, spent 312 days in a cell that was about the size of four of our tables put together, right? 312 days. Um, And um, during that time, they were absolutely transformed. And I'm putting on my glasses to look wiser and read you the account of what was written by um, Kristen as he reflected on how that scenario went down. He says this, From a spiritual angle, the time I spent in captivity was a great gain. At 33 years old, I believe I just began to understand what living the Christian life really means. One day... One of our jailers, who used to give us bits of reading material from time to time, left a cardboard box with various oddments in it. Rummaging around among the the loose sheets, we found what we recognised to be part of a Bible in English. But it was in Old English and partially burned. It lacked a good deal of the Old Testament, but the New Testament was complete. What incredible joy we felt. With the help of an English-French dictionary, which stopped at the letter N, we were able to read the Bible every day and reflect on it. And because of this, we began to change our attitude toward the jailers. It is wonderful to experience an about turn in your feelings. And as we read the Bible, we felt God working in our lives. And we responded to the message of the Bible. We were in the habit of referring to our jailers by words that Hamish would use. But now, we decided to give them encouraging names. And this was no minor detail for us. We were shut up for weeks on end in that prison with nothing to do. Everything about us began to change because of that Bible. No one in captivity can hold on without any hope. And the Bible is full of hope. Hope of what is not seen. Hope in the reality of God. I began to understand that our temporary reality, our being hostages, was only a shadow of our true life, eternal life. And I knew that God had allowed us to be taken hostage so that we might understand this. Now that I am free, my aim is to discover what path God has chosen for me. And to follow it. God's words can transform us in a way that nothing else can because God speaks through them. And when we surrender completely to these words, they change us. See, it's no longer, if you're a Christian, it's no longer acceptable to offer the excuse. It's just too hard to read. I find it just too difficult. It's, it's too much of a demand. I can't be bothered. I can't find the time. I'm too busy. Because that, it, it's not a statement about how good you are or how bad you are. It's a statement of what you think about Jesus. So this stuff really, really matters. Nobody else can create your history with God but you. And nobody else can read the Bible for you despite how good or bad the preacher might be, right? We, we can't read your Bible for you. Only you can read the Bible because God wants to speak to you. He is so eager to meet with you and he has given us this means of grace to sit in and go, God, speak. I'm listening. So as already said brilliantly before, sign up to the Bible reading app. Grab one or two or as many as you like. You don't need one, but if you want to give some away, grab the... the um, 
the plan on your way out. We're going to journey through this year. We're going to read the scriptures. We're going to preach about it. We're going to talk about it in small groups. We're just going to enjoy what God is saying to us and learn a new rhythm of what it's like to have the word of God central in our devotion to Christ. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now from all different angles. Some of us have never really read your words. Perhaps some of us did in a previous life, but, but it's just become distant or too hard. Some of us passionately read every day. Some of us don't understand it and just get confused the modern name. But God, you, you speak to us and we, we just invite that over the next year, as we sit and we open this word, that your words would leap into our soul. There wouldn't be a day that is fruitless in reading these words. That God, your spirit might meet us. That we might see more of what you are on about. And you might bring transformation, not just to us, but to others. And so God, if there are other people in Burley or around that want to be part of this, draw them to it. And may we just celebrate you. May we understand and learn more that there is two of you. May you bless us and meet us through every step we pray. May I ask this in your powerful name. Amen.